0: You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. And it goes down to A. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke hot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the Marijuana Nation. It's like marijuana got to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host,
1: Radical Ross yeah. Bellville. It is Tuesday. 11 11th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 920, and coming up on today's show, I'm sorry, episode 921, and coming up on today's show, in the news, a prohibitionist Pennsylvania congressman is reported to be the next drug czar. In our cannabis focus, we look at four crucial marijuana hearings this week. In drug war data mining, I school a public policy professor on reading comprehension and the marijuana job market. In our cannabis community chat, Claire Kaufman from La Ore joins us to discuss the Passover Cannabis Seder, and in the Radical Rant Project, Sam is fined $6,000 for violating California campaign finance laws, but now wants to attack the marijuana industry financing of congressmen who support reform. We'll get to all of that, plus our two discussions, but first, let's get to the news.
0: Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News.
1: This is your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, April eleventh, two 2017. Pennsylvania Congressman Tom Marino is expected to step down from his seat to take on a new role in the Trump administration. Multiple sources tell CBS News that Marino will head up the Office of National Drug Control Policy, assuming the informal title of drug czar. A source familiar with the personnel moves in the White House says that Marino is in the final stages of completing his paperwork and an official announcement is forthcoming. When asked for comment, the White House said it had no personnel announcements at this time. Marino's office also had no comment. In an emailed statement, Marijuana Policy Project Director of Federal Policies Robert Capecci said, quote, We are disappointed, but not at all surprised to hear a marijuana prohibitionist is being selected as the next drug czar. After all, whoever fills the position is required by law to oppose any attempts to legalize the use of marijuana for any purpose. End quote. Marijuana.com reports that a single vote swayed a main legislative committee this morning as they decided to put their support behind LD-764, a bill that would protect medical marijuana patients from being removed from organ transplant waiting lists. Members of the Health and Human Services Committee gathered in Augusta to decide the fate of LD-764 last Thursday, originally voting 6-5 to against its passage. Doctors in attendance testified about the possible dangers of using cannabis while recovering from an organ transplant, citing rare fungal infections that could take take advantage of an immune-compromised person, during post-surgery. However, Maine allows lawmakers who could not be in attendance two business days to submit a vote before a final decision can be reached. Luckily, for Maine medical cannabis patients awaiting organ transplants, two additional votes had been logged since Thursday's initial hearing, both in favor of LD-764. Colorado was set Monday to outlaw marijuana-growing co-ops soon after the state Senate unanimously approved a bill making it a crime for people to cultivate recreational pot for other people. The bill, supported by the office of Governor John Hickenlooper, passed 35 to nothing, but it was unclear when he would sign it, according to the Denver Post. There are no state estimates on how many collective recreational marijuana growing operations exist in Colorado, though they are popular among users who share the cost of electricity, water, and fertilizer to grow their pot. The governor plans to sign another bill this week in the state's pot crackdown. It limits the number of marijuana plants that can be grown in a home to 12 plants, which would force medical marijuana users authorized to grow more than 12 plants to grow it in agricultural or commercial locations or to buy it from dispensaries that tax marijuana. Oregon state lawmakers have given final approval to a bill that would shield the names, birth dates, and other identifying information of marijuana users from being accessed by federal drug agents amid worries of heightened enforcement. The bill was approved 53 to 5 by the Oregon House on Monday and is largely in response to mixed signals about the new White House administration's stance on the federal marijuana prohibition. K2 News reports that Democratic Governor Kate Brown is expected to sign it into law. Oregon pot shops would have 30 days to destroy their recreational pot customers' personal data from their records and be banned from keeping such records thereon. Data collection about pot clients is already illegal or discouraged in Alaska, Colorado, and Washington State. Despite legalization, Washington, D.C. police arrest hundreds on weed consumption charges every year, overwhelmingly African-Americans. Muckrock.com reports that recently released numbers on marijuana-related arrests provided by the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department in response to a public records request by Dan Wynn present a stark racial disparity in the allocation of weed-associated charges made by the department. The numbers as given show an obvious drop in the number of arrests due to possession of the drug, which was decriminalized effectively on July 17, 2014, as part of the Marijuana Possession Decriminalization Amendment Act of 2014. As part of the Act to Decriminalize Marijuana Possession, the city of Washington, D.C. simultaneously created a law to ban its consumption in public. Since the ban against public consumption, nearly 700 people have been charged with the offense, either on its own or as a part of a set of charges. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, April 11th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Elville Show presents the anti drug public service announcement of the day.
0: Hi, KB. Who are your friends?
2: My classmate, Ocean. Peace and be happy, man. My teacher, Mr. Plitt. Yeah, he makes class fun. He's cool and he knows lots of stuff. Hey, dude.
0: Who are not your friends?
2: Well, there's these two guys at school, Jesse and Jeff. Jeff does drugs and he tries to get us to do it too. Jesse thinks he's cool because he hangs out with Jeff. Hey guys, want to have some fun? Oh,
1: thanks, man. Yeah, get a life, guys. This has been the Russ Bellville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. Get your tickets now for the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference, happening one day only in Eugene, Oregon, on Friday, April 28th. You'll learn all about the latest OLCC regulations for adult-use cannabis, including testing requirements, tech and branding, taxes and distribution, and the latest developments in medical marijuana regulations. OMBC features networking with Oregon's leading experts in marijuana, including State Senator Floyd Prezanski. You'll also get to hear from author, actor, and punk rock icon Henry Rollins delivering the keynote address. Early bird pricing is available for conference-only and VIP passes, which gets you access to the VIP networking events featuring Henry Rollins and other speakers. It's the 2017 Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Tickets available now at OregonMBC.com. That's OregonMBC.com before April 14th to get your early bird pricing. OregonMBC.com.
0: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show.
1: Drugs are menacing our society. They're threatening our values and undercutting our institutions.
0: They're killing our children. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they aim to say that. Dude, 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 dude. A public service message from the Russ Bellville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus.
1: Today into Cannabis Focus, we take a look all around the United States of America at four different marijuana hearings that are taking place this week. The news comes to us v- by way of the prodigious Tom Angel writing at MassRoots.com. The title is four crucial marijuana hearings this week. And we've got three states that have important marijuana hearings to tell you about, as well as one U.S. territory. First, we start with the state of New Hampshire. In their Senate Judiciary Committee, they're supposed to be holding a hearing today on a decriminalization bill. This would make New England uh, finally completely decriminalized. All the other states in New England have either decriminalized marijuana or have legalized marijuana in the case of Maine and Massachusetts, as well as having robust medical marijuana programs. So both of these, uh, this bill here is to decriminalize possession. There's also a bill to create a study committee for future full legalization of marijuana in New Hampshire. Both of these have already been approved by the full House of Representatives, which uh, New Hampshire has the largest House of Representatives, by the way. It's like 400 some odd members. So we think we'll get a a victory this year uh, because now uh, we have a governor there who supports the reform of marijuana laws. The last governor uh, was always opposed to this stuff and always threatened vetoes that uh, killed this. Then, in addition to the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, the Senate Health and Human Services Committee in New Hampshire is holding a hearing on three bills that have passed in the house to expand the medical cannabis laws. Uh, these bills would add new qualifying conditions and establish the right of home grow for New Hampshire cannabis patients. That'd be a complete March out of the box Canyon. I would love to see it. Let's finally get some more home growing for patients. Also in new England, I guess all these are in New England, to tell you the truth. Uh, in the state of Rhode Island, their House Committee on Judiciary is holding a hearing today on several bills having to do with marijuana. There is one for full legalization in the state of Rhode Island. This is their first committee hearing on this uh, legalize, regulate and tax for recreational use. Uh, Massachusetts, of course, uh, next door has already legalized. And so people in the ocean state are pretty hopeful that we could get legalization. The first state to legalize through a legislature this year, but the legislators in Rhode Island don't seem to be in any rush. According to Tom angel, the, uh, governor Gina Raimondo and the house speaker, Nicholas Mattiello are both open to legalization. They say, but they're playing the let's get it right game. We don't want to move too fast. We don't want to mess anything up. I mean, only eight states have legalized already. We wouldn't want to make any mistakes as we go along. So they're going to go slowly on this, but I think it is pretty positive for Rhode Island to be one of the first states to legalize through their legislature. That would be fantastic. In Vermont, they are taking a look Uh, in their House Committee on Human Services uh, for a second hearing on non-commercial cannabis legalization. This would be more like a Washington, D.C. style grow and give. There'd be no legal marijuana sales, but low-level possession would be okay. Home grow would be okay. And I think it was like two plants maybe they were thinking about. It was expected to be approved by the full House last month, but it was pulled from the floor and put back into committee. And they say it's not because they were trying to kill the bill, but because they had a few supportive lawmakers who weren't present. And they wanted to make sure they got all the votes so that they could uh, pass this thing. So they pulled it back into committee just to give those lawmakers some time to get back on the floor. Uh, the committee chair, uh, her name is Ann Pugh. She's a Democrat in Vermont. She's been uh, instructed to keep the bill in her committee until the weather changes, uh, kind of signaling, don't let this out of committee until we're ready to get all the votes, until all the votes are there for passage. Because, again, last year, uh, the Senate passed a tax and regulate bill for legalization, but uh, that died in the House. So the commercial aspect may be too much for the Vermont legislature to swallow at this point. We may be going forward with a grow and give sort of situation. Then we go all the way across the Pacific, to the easternmost U.S. territory, the territory of Guam. And on the island of Guam there, the marijuana legalization bill was actually drafted by their governor, Governor Eddie Calvo. And the man's a Republican. A Republican governor has has proposed marijuana legalization. Yes, it's just a territory, but still. Uh, this is going to have a hearing uh, on Tuesday, on today as well. And uh, he had previously vetoed uh, the medical cannabis initiative in 2014 uh, saying that there was no funds to pay for it. There was no, it was going to cost Guam too much money to put together a medical cannabis program. So he is saying that let's go with full legalization and taxation of a recreational market and that could generate enough revenue to pay for itself. So we may have a not only a Republican governor who is supporting legalization, but is supporting it in bypass of medical. Let's go past medical and go right to legalization that would pay for itself and give every patient who needs it the access uh, they deserve. That's fantastic. So those four are all uh, having hearings today. And on tomorrow's show in the news, we'll be able to give you a breakdown on how those hearings uh, went down. There's also marijuana reform going on in other U.S. states, maybe not as far, uh, maybe hasn't proceeded as far as these others. But in West Virginia, they put the uh, pharmaceuticalized cannabinoids bill on the desk of the governor, who's expected to sign it. People keep saying this makes uh, West Virginia the 29th medical marijuana state, but it's really becoming the fifth pharmaceuticalized cannabinoid state. I refuse to call a state that does not allow you to access actual marijuana to smoke a medical marijuana state. That is pharmaceuticalized cannabinoids. That is extracting the medically uh, efficacious uh, constituents of a plant and putting them into a, a prepared a, a, a previously prepared preparation that's marked up with a barcode uh, that I got to buy from a special building. That makes it like any other pharmaceutical. If I can't grow my own and use it, then we're not talking medical marijuana. We're talking some bastardized version of a pharmaceutical drug. Still, kudos to the patients in West Virginia who will be able to access at least these pharmaceuticalized cannabinoids to get some relief. And West Virginia takes itself off the list of the states with absolute marijuana prohibition. That will leave Idaho... South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and Indiana. Looking uh, down to the south in Texas, the House Criminal Jurisprudence Committee voted 4-2 to two to advance a bill for marijuana decriminalization, and the city of Dallas is looking at a decriminalization measure. It would join Houston, uh, Travis County, and some other locations in Texas in approving decriminalization. In Connecticut, a marijuana legalization bill didn't get a committee vote before the deadline. So it looks like uh, legalization was dead there, but they're thinking they might be able to slip it in as part of the budget process in Connecticut. So we may have uh, some more hope for Connecticut legalization and we've got legalization bills that have been introduced in the state of Delaware and uh, in the state of Illinois. We've uh, brought that up previously. Also, We have uh, other marijuana bills that are in play in states like Maryland. The uh, Maryland House and Senate actually has gone on their break now, and they didn't get around to a bill that would have expanded the number of medical cannabis business licenses. In Tennessee, their House of Representatives defeated a bill that would have raised the threshold for a marijuana felony. So they would have it would have taken more marijuana to trigger a felony in Tennessee, and they struck that down. So we lost on reform in that area. We've got Montana. Their House Taxation Committee is currently working on a bill to create a regulatory framework for the state's medical cannabis industry, as was approved by voters in 2016 when they approved that marijuana initiative in Montana. And uh, in the... Uh, In the nation of Canada, one quick national update, the government's marijuana legalization legislation is expected to be introduced Thursday uh, of this week, so we may know a little bit more about the framework that they are proposing and what marijuana legalization might look like in the nation of Canada. And one more international bit of news, a study coming out of the Czech Republic entitled Cannabis Decriminalization and the Age of Onset of Cannabis Use. Uh, Their background is that in 2010, the Czech Republic introduced a law decriminalizing personal possession of small quantities of cannabis. They used 2012 survey data to see whether or not that change in decriminalization affected the age of onset of cannabis use. That would be how young is someone when they first try cannabis and did the age go down any, the conclusion the researchers came to was that, quote, we find no evidence of cannabis decriminalization affecting the age of onset of cannabis use, end quote. Yet another prohibitionist scare tactic is falling to the study of science that has discovered that no, this doesn't cause kids to use marijuana any earlier if you change the marijuana laws. boot to the head.
2: <laughs> oh, you me
1: Alright, that sound means that it's 20 after the hour. That means it's 4.20 in the mountain time zone. Happy 4.20 to our friends in Denver, Colorado, and all throughout the Rocky Mountains. We gotta take our union-mandated safety break, and when we return... We will have a lesson in reading comprehension and data statistics for Professor Mark Kleiman.
0: You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show.
2: I was asked by a group of children what to do if they were offered drugs. And I answered, just say no.
0: Okay, maybe you're high too. Georgia.
2: Hi, this is Willie
0: Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do.
2: For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at NORML.org.
0: Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining.
1: Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at how even the most learned public policy professors can mistake a news headline by reading into it what they want to see in that headline. Uh, this comes to me by way of a tweet by uh, one of, uh, let's see, Kevin Sabetz, the Joker to my Batman. Patrick Kennedy is the Riddler. Um, I forgot who the Penguin was. Uh, I'll recall soon. But uh, Mark Kleiman, hmm. I don't know who he is in the Batman universe. Maybe my chat room can tell me. But anyway, Mark Kleiman is a public policy professor who famously in 2010 in Los Angeles Times said that it was impossible for states to legalize cannabis because they'd be uh, the operators would be filling out paperwork that indicts them of uh, being complicit in breaking federal law. So it never happened. So the, that guy also uh, Mark Kleiman was the pot czar in Washington state Who is in charge of putting together the regulations, uh, the recommendations for regulations in that state, which is widely agreed to be the worst state for marijuana legalization. Uh, Anyway, Mark Kleiman put a tweet out the other day and it was just one word. It just said fantasy, exclamation point, fantasy. And it linked to this story on Yahoo News and the Yahoo, actually Yahoo Finance, I should say. And the Yahoo Finance story is entitled Legal Marijuana Could Overtake Manufacturing in Job Creation by 2020. A new report from New Frontier Data, a business intelligence firm focused on cannabis, projects the legal weed market will create more than a quarter of a million jobs by 2020. In comparison, manufacturing jobs are expected to decline by 814,000 by 2024, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So I saw Kleiman's tweet, fantasy, and I thought, what what do you mean fantasy? Uh, The Bureau of Labor Statistics says manufacturing jobs are going down. And all indications are that cannabis jobs are going up. So obviously the cannabis industry is outpacing the manufacturing industry in, in job creation. You know, positive numbers are bigger than negative numbers, right? So I kind of trolled Mark a little bit and I sent, a, sent out a tweet where I quoted a congressman from the, uh, a senator, excuse me, from the Prohibition era. And this is from Time Magazine, September 4th, 1933. Reporting on this three years ago, small, tight lipped Senator Morris Shepherd, whose proudest boast is that he helped write the 18th Amendment, boasted proudly, quote, there's as much chance of repealing the 18th Amendment as there is for a hummingbird to fly to Mars with the Washington Monument tied to its tail, end quote. Last week, Hummingbird and Washington Monument were well on their way to Mars when Senator Shepard's own mammoth Texas became the 23rd consecutive state to plump for repeal. So uh, I, I, I sent the quote out to him with a link to that, you know, Morris Shepard. Like, he, this is going to go down in infamy as yet another Mark Kleiman statement like uh, Dewey defeats Truman <laughs> that was completely wrong. Well, he responded. He responded to that tweet. With a reply to me that said legalization's not a fantasy, the idea that there's more jobs, let me see if I can get the exact reply here. I want to make sure I uh, quote it properly. Legalizing cannabis isn't a fantasy, quote, more jobs selling pot than in manufacturing, end quote, is flat out silly. Here's where the reading comprehension part comes in. When I read that part from Yahoo Finance, did you catch the part that said, quote, more jobs selling pot than in manufacturing, end quote? Well, you probably didn't because it's not in there. Nobody said there's going to be more pot jobs than manufacturing jobs. Gross. There's only going to be about 300,000 pot jobs by 2020, and the forecast for 2020 20- Twenty four, if I'm remembering correctly, was around 11 million manufacturing jobs. Nobody would try to say there's more pot jobs than manufacturing jobs. What the Yahoo Finance story clearly says is legal marijuana could overtake manufacturing in job creation. That more jobs will be created in pot than there are in manufacturing. And this isn't up for debate. This is not even close to being anything that's controversial. Manufacturing jobs have been hemorrhaging from this country for years. Those st- statistics from Bureau of Labor Statistics show uh, something like 13 million manufacturing jobs in 2004, down to about 11 million by 2014, down to about 8 million by 2024. So yeah, there's uh, the manufacturing jobs are going to China. They're going to Mexico. This is not a surprise to anybody except Mark Kleiman. (laughs) But again, it's not that uh, it's The situation here is that he's reading into the headline based on his own prejudices, based on his own can of bigotry. Whenever he gets something coming across from the cannabis industry, from cannabis supporters, he reads it with a jaundiced eye. He reads it with the perspective of, Oh, here come those potheads with their IQ-addled brains, puffing up how great marijuana is going to be, when nobody did. Nobody was doing that. He just assumed that's what we were saying. He was assuming we were making a mountain out of a molehill. Nobody said that. New Frontier Data's report is dead on in this respect. There will be more jobs created in marijuana in any one of the states, not even counting all of them combined, in any one of the states. There will only be more jobs for marijuana than there will be created in manufacturing. Alright, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we've got a very special guest joining us, Claire Kaufman from Laor. You can find her at High Minded Jews on Twitter. We'll be joining us to discuss the second annual Cannabis Passover Seder, a Jewish tradition on weed. When we return.
0: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. This is not medicine, this is a Cheech and Chong show. All right. Maybe you're high, too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (laughs) Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. The cannabis community is a diverse set of people from all walks of life. Conservative and liberal. Black and white. Straight and gay. Rich and poor and everyone in between. Learn more about the people we are freeing from adult cannabis prohibition in our Cannabis Community Chat.
1: Well, folks, last night at sundown began the holiday of Passover in the Jewish tradition. And joining us to discuss this is Claire Kaufman. She's the Northwest Regional Director of BDS Analytics. And more importantly for this segment, uh, one of the founders of Laor, the uh, organization promoting uh, cannabis awareness in the Jewish community. Is that is that a good way to put that, Claire?
2: That's right. So we are, um, Laor is a 501c3 here in the state of Oregon, and we're dedicated to the issues of not only federal marijuana legalization, but also prison sentencing reform and the larger, ending the larger war on drugs.
1: Okay, fantastic. So I recall last year that uh, when Passover came along, you put together a cannabis Seder uh, for people that are following the Jewish traditions. Uh, For those who are not, explain what a Seder is and how cannabis fits into it.
2: Sure. So that's that's a beast of a question. That I'm going to tackle it as best I can. Okay. So what is what is Passover? So the Jewish holiday of Passover is actually the most observed holiday, more than Rosh Hashanah, more than Hanukkah, more than Yom Kippur. A larger percentage of Jews go to a Passover seder than anything else. Okay. What is Passover? So the this, the holiday of Passover commemorates the Jewish exodus from Egypt. So what that means is a long time ago in ancient Egypt, um, you know, people always think, oh, the Jews were slaves. Well, we weren't always slaves. We actually were a very vocal and very well-respected minority. Um, But a Pharaoh came to power who perceived that as a threat, and he enslaved the, the Hebrews, which they were called at that time. And by the time the story of the exodus happens, you know, with Moses and the water parting and everything that sort of people know about, the Jewish, the Hebrews in the land of Israel had been slaves about 200 years. So um, the story of Passover is a ritual. So a Seder is the Hebrew word for order. So the Jewish community, um, you know, they were freed as slaves, and we made Exodus from Egypt into the land of Israel. And to commemorate this experience of being slaves and of our liberation over time, the ritual of the of the Passover Seder evolved. And so a Seder is a ritual uh, order of doing particular things that helps us remember, if that makes sense.
1: It does. Okay, and that's very interesting. And of course, the interesting part here would be, how does cannabis fit into this? And how does this differ from a more traditional Seder that you would uh, have?
2: That's right. So that's exactly where I'm headed. So one of the important things about Passover is that it's not only about celebrating our own redemption and our own freedom, but it's about reminding ourselves of the responsibility to fight for the freedom of all people. Mm. Okay, and in fact, the civil rights seder has been around, you know, since the 1960s. And there's all kinds of seder's. There's chocolate seder's. There's feminism seder's. There's any kind of seder you can imagine um, is always kind of overlaid over the traditional story. And it arcs really well, because the story of the exodus from Egypt and the end of slavery arcs eloquently over the story of cannabis legalization and the war on drugs, because we're really talking about a celebration of our existing freedom and remembering how lucky we are to be free, while not forgetting The road that we have ahead of ourselves to bring an end to federal prohibition and to make sure that people are not incarcerated for something that is a healing plant.
1: So it would seem that uh, fits quite naturally then with this whole idea of freedom and and ending our, right. our, our opposition and our, and our uh, uh, subjugation. So that, that fits wonderfully. I wonder how do, uh, how are, how are people in the Jewish community taking this? How, I mean, there's a lot of breadth I understand between Orthodox and, and yeah. more secular and yeah. how does that, how does that fit? Well, that's a
2: really good question. So, you know, To quickly backtrack, one of the other things that I think is really important about Passover is that we talk a lot about not just about being physically slaves, but what enslaves us mentally. So whether that's money, whether that's ego, whether that's perfectionism. And cannabis is in a way about mm, freedom of consciousness, freedom of thought. And so I think it arcs in that way too. And in terms of how the Jewish community responds to this, exactly as you articulated, there's a breadth of reaction. So um, one of the reasons we founded Laor and felt that we had even a mission to play is we spent our whole first year um, researching why the Jewish community wasn't coming out of the gate, being more vocal about this issue. I mean, never mind the fact, as you know, that Israel is one of the leading me- medical cannabis research countries in the world, or that you know Ethan Adelman, for example, mm. um, you know former executive director of the DPA is the son of a rabbi. Yeah. Um, you know, or or that you know Seth Rogen made a movie called Pineapple Express. I mean, then the, the connections between you know people always say Jews and cannabis go together like bagels and locks, and that's <laughs> that's absolutely true. But what we found as we began to to create La'or was that the rabbis were not interested in talking about this issue hmm. at all. And that that's largely why the community hadn't come together around this issue. The rabbis, you know, basically said to us, there's no reason why I should touch this issue with a 10-foot pole. It's a liability for me, my donors are doctors and lawyers, you know, why bother? Hmm. Um, and so we realized that this had to come from the ground up. This had to be a movement that came from the Jewish community itself. So to circle back to your question, how is this received? Um, really well-received in the Reform and conservative and more progressive communities, and not as well-received as you might imagine in the traditional communities, but they're not against it. I mean, we have received, I think, in this entire experience, maybe two negative comments, Um, you know, which, uh, as you know, on social media, that's really nothing. Um, So I would just say that for them, the Passover Seder is such a holy thing that bringing candidates into it, from their perspective feels diminishing. Whereas we would see it as elevating the conversation.
1: Yeah. It's interesting from my, Um, from my outsider perspective on this. And I wonder, you know, what is the ratio of opposition between uh, the problem of cannabis under our secular law? It's prohibited versus cannabis under Jewish law. Is there anything in the Torah that refers to this or covers this issue?
2: Yes, there is. So, um, In Hebrew, the word is cannabisim, which actually appears multiple times in the Torah. Um, So, cannabis actually is a part of the holy anointing oils at the temple. So, you know, Jews and cannabis have been friends for a long time. (laughs) Um, And also, you know, um, the Orthodox rabbis, I believe, in New York, um, just said that cannabis is kosher. Um, So, I, you know, I also imagine that you might be interested in exactly how we use cannabis during the service. Yes. Okay. So, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been to a theater before? I
1: attended my first one uh, last year in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I was delighted.
2: Oh, good. Okay, well, maybe you will have to come to ours um, soon. Maybe next year. Um, so, I don't know if you remember, but um, the number four appears Mm -hmm. a lot in the seder. Mm -hmm. There's four glasses of wine. There's four questions. There's four sons. So, you know, what we've done is we bring cannabis in during those four glasses of wine. Um, So, you know, we do have wine for people that prefer that. But at that point, we also save the blessing for cannabis. Hmm. So, and then we consume it together at the table. And this year's seder is going to have about 70 people, and we've got all kinds of people. I have, you know, Christians, Jews, Muslims, drug policy activists, rabbis, priests, you know, industry people, oh, and all kinds of different people, you know, moms, dads, all kinds of different people. So I I think the more diverse the group, the more compelling the event.
1: It's very interesting to me. And I'm also interested, uh, you mentioned the cannabosum and the holy anointing oil of the rabbis. Are, is there anybody uh, in the community, anybody, you know, I don't know if it would be a fringe group or not, that is actually going back to that tradition and using cannabis as part of an anointing oil? Or is that just part of the history? I think it's part of the history. But I do think that
2: we're going to see... You know, just to circle in, so, you know, at BDS Analytics, I study what customers do every day, and we just did a big consumer survey. And what we found out is that people are using cannabis for very specific reasons, whether it's for very specific physical elements or, in this case, for example, um, very specific spiritual needs. And what we're discovering is that people aren't just smoking pot for fun. I mean, people do that, but it seems that more and more people are finding a role for cannabis to play in their lives, and I think spirituality and and what I do with the is part of that. It's about that nexus, you know, between our spirit and the cannabis plant itself.
1: I'm so glad that uh, the community is taking a look at this, and I'd like to see more of this from more of the faith communities uh, trying to reintegrate I agree. cannabis. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Well, Claire, we do have to wrap yeah. things up, but I want to give our listeners a chance to learn more about this. Maybe they can look on some Facebook pages or websites that you might have for them.
2: That's right. So, thank you for giving me that opportunity. So, our website is leor, and that's spelled L E O R dot life. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Highminded juice.
1: All right, L-E-O-R dot life or at HighMindedJews on Twitter. That's right.
2: Thank you so much for having me on today, Russ. It was really a pleasure. Thank
1: you. It's my pleasure, and I will uh, look forward in my uh, Jewish holiday calendar in 2018 to find Passover, and I will pencil that in. That's
2: right. It's happening. All right.
1: Thank you so much, and good luck on the Seder. All right, stay tuned, folks. When we come back, we'll have time for the Radical Rant. Project Sam in my crosshairs once again. This time they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar when we return.
0: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show.
2: I do support the use of medical marijuana, and I think even there, we need to do a lot more research.
0: Okay, well, maybe you're high, too. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they aim me to say that.
2: Oh no.
0: A public service message from the Russ Bellville Show. Total war against Public enemy public number one. Ten number federal one. criminal penalties for up to one ounce of marijuana.
1: marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Say, drug. Legalization just
0: is just, say, just another say. word for surrender. I'm exterminated with marijuana and then inhaled. This is not medicine. This is a cheat and chomp. Encourage people to use less drugs. Use less
2: I, I am that
1: was
0: That was the point.
1: I think we would be a mistake to leave mistake. Negative I reports I coming out of Colorado. Colorado. People Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana.
2: Marijuana. smoke marijuana.
1: Today in the Radical Rant, we take a look at a story in the Los Angeles Times, which tell us a national anti-marijuana coalition is facing $6,000 in fines for campaign finance violations in its opposition to Proposition 64, the November ballot measure that legalized recreational marijuana in California. The fines have been agreed to by Sam Action, Inc., the political arm of Smart Approaches, To Marijuana, the anti-legalization group founded by Kevin Sabet, a former drug policy advisor to the Obama administration. (laughs) Yeah, so there you go. Uh, Project Sam, Kevin Sabet, having some problems uh, following the law when it comes to campaign finance disclosure in California. The violations included not changing the campaign committee's name to include its major donor. Now, we covered this donor. Her name's Juliet Shower. She's a retired art professor and activist in the state of Pennsylvania who contributed $1.36 million to Project Sam to help cover their expenses in California and other states where they were fighting marijuana legalization. Because of the California Fair Practices uh, Commission and the Political Reform Act, the law requires them to disclose their top funders. They have to disclose all the money they got from Shower. They were late in doing that. They failed to report accurately the total amount of contributions they got. And they failed to file a list of their top 10 contributors. You know, and you see that little fine print on the bottom ad that they say, you know, political action committee, major supporters include blah, 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 blah. At the bottom, they didn't do that part. Now, I knew about this, uh, with the, I knew that this would be coming uh, to fruition months ago. My good friend uh, in Law Enforcement Action Partnership, uh, Diane Goldstein, had kind of turned me into the fact that there were going to be complaints filed with the California Fair Political Practices Commission. I think $6,000 in fines is kind of a pittance. That's just two Kevin Sabet appearances from the uh, documents that I've uncovered. He makes that uh, in two appearances. I think they should have been fined a greater amount, but I don't know what the background and the precedent is as far as California political fines. But consider, if they got $136 million, I'd say $1.36 million from this woman, and they only had to pay $6,000 for not disclosing it, I think that worked out pretty well for Project Sam, didn't it? Now, they reached out to uh, Kevin Sabet and Project Sam, to uh, find out why they committed this violation. In a statement, Kevin Sabet said, quote, the campaign committee rectified the situation while disclosing everything before the election. The committee's operators told the investigators the violations were inadvertent and caused by, quote, inexperience with California campaign reporting requirements. That's the excuse, huh? So let me get this straight. The potheads, the cannabis consumers, the people who smoke marijuana on a daily basis, who put this together, put this act together, who raised millions of dollars for it in-state, Sean Parker is in-state, unlike Julie Shower, out-of-state Pennsylvania, raised their money in-state, disclosed all the money they raised on time, Somehow, all of these guys who smoke marijuana, who are supposedly supposed to have an eight-point drop in their IQ, who supposedly are amotivated and unable to handle major cognitive uh, duties, somehow they were able to follow California's campaign laws. But Kevin Subet, Ph.D., and his Project Sam Acolytes, who are teetotalers, I assume, who don't smoke any marijuana, I assume, who know and have known since 2012 that there would be a major push for legalization in California in 2016, who had four years to study the relevant California campaign finance laws, somehow, somehow they couldn't handle it. Well, thanks for that admission that us potheads uh, are better at following the laws and comprehending them and obeying the laws than you. Thanks for that. We appreciate that. That's really cool. They also levied another $3,500 in fines against a campaign committee called Public and Mental Health Advocates Against 64, which was sponsored by and received major funding from Sam Action Inc. In this case... That campaign committee did not identify in its advertising the special interests that contributed more than $50,000. So once again, hiding the source and the amount of their campaign contributions. So now, between the $6,000 fine directly to Sam Action and the 3500 to the affiliate of Sam Action, we're talking almost $10,000 in fines, $9,500 in fines for hiding the source and amount of their campaign contributions. And this is a group, mind you, that is constantly, constantly criticizing the marijuana movement because we're only funded by three billionaires and it's all out-of-state money. And The marijuana industry is loading up to pass these initiatives so that they can make massive amounts of profits. That's what they keep telling us. But in every election so far, we have followed the laws. I cannot recall in any election since 2010 any of the campaign committees on the marijuana side being dinged for campaign finance disclosure violations. Can't recall a single one. And these aren't people with PhDs from Oxford. These are people that are usually marijuana activists, people that may not have any sort of postgraduate degree or any sort of undergraduate degree for that matter. People who are probably far less in tune with what, the intricacies of campaign finance law are compared to say someone with a doctorate in public policy. Maybe, but that's not where this is really aggravating me. It's bad enough that project Sam is a little sloppy on their campaign finances and, don't really want to disclose that they're getting $1.36 million from an out-of-state donor after they've spent all their time lambasting our side from getting millions from out-of-state donors. That's not the big part. Here's the really big part. This is a press release from Sam Action. Sam Action to investigate campaign contributions of signatories to Representative Rohrabacher's marijuana appropriations letter. This was announced uh, last uh, March 27th. Today, Smart Approaches to Marijuana Action, SAM Action, a national organization dedicated to advancing evidence-based marijuana laws, announced plans to investigate all signatories to Congressman Dana Rohrabacher's announced plans to investigate all signatories. I'm sorry. Announce plans to investigate all signatories to Congressman Dana Rohrabacher's letter to appropriators requesting special language on medical marijuana enforcement. Sam will cross-reference every House member who signs the letter with available reports showing which members have taken campaign contributions from the marijuana industry. All right. So Sam is trying to put public pressure on the congressman. And I, I believe it was something like 44 reps have signed on to this letter now from Rohrabacher. And this is the letter to re, uh, reintroduce the what was called the Rohrabacher-Farr Amendment, which will now be called the Rohrabacher-Bluminar Amendment, which is Department of Justice can't spend money to bust state legal marijuana operations, medical marijuana operations. They just want that in their appropriations bill again because it has to be renewed every year. Sam here is trying to intimidate these House congressmen by saying, oh, hey, you sign onto this letter and we're going to investigate if you're getting any money from the marijuana industry. We're going to make that public. Well, first of all, the marijuana industry is not contributing that much money to these uh, legislators, especially in any sort of comparison to what they get from other special interest groups. But the really galling part of this is that the only way Project SAM has the ability to look up how much money the marijuana industry is funneling toward these elected officials, is because, wait for it, we're following the campaign finance laws. It, it takes iron testicles of enormous proportion to be able to point to us and say, oh, we're going to be taking a look at your campaign finance info. We're going to be really examining your campaign finance info. When you can't follow that same law, Kevin Sabet. When you just, oh, it's inadvertent. Oops, oops, we weren't really familiar with California. Yeah, that's just really, really galling that he feels he can do this. Here's a quote from uh, Sabet from that uh, press release. Legalization is about making a small number of people very rich. For them, it's all about the money, end quote, says Kevin Sabet. Legalization is about making a small number of people Very rich. Uh, Kevin, I have so many people I would like you to meet to say that to. People who've done five-year federal mandatory minimum sentences. People who were imprisoned for 29 years of their lives. And the families of people who died in jail cells because marijuana was prohibited. Yes, there will be some people who get very rich from marijuana legalization, but the vast majority of us who have been activists in this arena, who have been fighting myself over a decade, some folks over four decades now, fighting to end this adult marijuana prohibition, the money being made couldn't be farther from our minds, I didn't give a shit who get got rich when I was buying weed in the back parking lots. I don't care who's getting rich when I'm buying weed in a dispensary. I don't care who's getting rich when I buy weed in a pot shop. What I do care about is not one adult citizen being arrested, harassed, fined, punished, and caged over their use of cannabis. That's all I'm in this for. You want to talk about a small number of people getting rich. I ain't in that small number by any means. Sabet continues, "Quote: Just this month, a state police report was leaked showing the link between Oregon's medical marijuana program and the thriving black market trafficking pot to non-legal states and even foreign countries. The representatives who signed onto this letter will be investigated, and any ties to the pot industry lobby will be exposed. There's a money trail behind further relaxation of federal marijuana laws, and it points to politicians who have taken money from the next big addictive industry." End quote. Well, as far as that uh, uh, Oregon report, uh, what it showed is that Oregon is a place where people grow a lot of weed and it goes to other states. That report could have been written in 1973 or 83 or 93 or 2003 because Oregon's always been a place where there's been massive underground cultivation of cannabis and diversion to markets out of state. Medical marijuana didn't create this. Legalization didn't create this. The Oregon State Police's Report is yet another biased report from law enforcement that's pissed off that they've lost their easy key to unlock people's Fourth and Fifth Amendment rights. They're pissed off that they've lost the easy payday of busting people by saying, "Uh, you don't have any drugs or cash in the car, do you? And then using civil asset forfeiture to steal from people. That's what they're pissed off about. They're pissed off about no longer getting paid overtime to go fly helicopters over Southern Oregon and land and rip up plants. They're pissed off about losing their overtime, going to some possession hearing where they get paid extra hours to sit and lie on the stand. Kevin Sabet is pissed off because he's losing because 60% of the American people disagree with them because an increasing bipartisan coalition in Congress recognizes the need to change our antiquated marijuana laws. Kevin Sabet's pissed off because now the only people he's got on his side are gray haired Republicans. And even they are beginning to switch. Even they believe that marijuana should at least be decriminalized and should certainly be available for medical purposes. So Kevin Sabet and Project Sam are reaching out in a desperate last throws attempt to try to pin marijuana onto the horrors of the big tobacco industry from decades ago. Ignoring the critical difference that marijuana ain't tobacco. Tobacco had to lie about its product because it's toxic and addictive. Tobacco had to lie about its product because adults won't take it up. Tobacco had to lie about its product because it's stinky and it tastes bad. Cannabis doesn't have to lie about its product. You have to lie about cannabis to get anyone to be scared of it. I'm sorry. If you don't like marijuana, you're not going to like the future. And I can't wait for Kevin Sabet to go the way of the buggy whip and the steam engine and the quill pen. That's all the time we got for our podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us. Those of you watching live on YouTube, stay tuned. Hour two is next. Toker Talk Radio. We'll just talk about it all. I got even more to say about the United Airlines thing. There's been some more developments I got to rant about. Plus, we'll take a look in the uh, voicemail box, see what we got there. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
0: This is the Russ Bellville Show. The Rust Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it,
2: you skull it You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you skull in. You take a scene, you plant it, it, you giant, you it, take a scene, you plant